This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. If you've grown up really religious, you know it can dominate all parts of your life. Family, friends, even work. So what happens to those who leave their faith because they're not accepted for who they are? What happens when you're trying to redefine your life, make new networks, build yourself up, because everything you've ever known is gone overnight? Later, we're going to have a big chat with someone who's experienced this, a teacher who says she was sacked a couple of years ago after coming out. We're going to find out what that journey's been like. First, though, if you're desperate for summer to come back... Be careful what you wish for. Hack. The situation we are witnessing now is the demonstration that climate change is out of control. On Triple J. Yeah, as we push through winter here in Australia, you might have missed the news that last week was really hot. And when I say hot, I mean the hottest ever. The World Meteorological Organization says extreme temperatures have smashed records. Places in Europe, North America are sweltering right now. And everyone's blaming El Nino. We're pretty familiar with El Nino's sister, La Nina, after a year of flooding emergencies. But could we about could we be about to see a big switch up here in Australia later this year? Like, could we see another bad bushfire season? Joe Lauder explains. That record has been broken twice in a week, first on Monday and then again on Tuesday. Speaking of heat here, Earth reached its hottest day ever recorded for three days in a row. On record for a fourth day in a row. Last week, as the days rolled on, the record for the average global temperature kept getting broken. Monday was the hottest day ever on Earth and the first time the average global temperature got over 17 degrees Celsius. But then Tuesday came in and was like, hold my beer. And then Wednesday. And basically, it looks like the seven days last week were the seven hottest days on record so far. It's been a wild few months, really, and in particular week for records tumbling. Dr Kim Reid is a postdoc research fellow with the ARC Centre of Excellence for Climate Extremes at Monash Uni. Uh, And if you're wondering how scientists knew what the Earth's temperature was years ago... Well, there's good data going back to the 1800s. And before that, there's what's known as paleoclimate proxies. When we talk about highest on record, it's usually the high quality observational station or satellite data. However, we know that the period we're in is warmer than we've seen for thousands of years because of other records like tree rings and coral and ice. Antarctica was four and a half degrees above average last week, and it's got a record low amount of sea ice at the moment. This is usually when the ice is growing. It should be nearing its its winter maximum. It, it, it's smashing records. It, it's not even just a little bit lower. It, it, it really is incredible. In my years as a scientist, I've never seen anything like this before. And the average surface temperatures for the world's oceans are still at a record high. So yeah, Lots of records are being smashed. In the middle of all of this last week, the World Meteorological Organization declared that El Nino is underway. Although here in Australia, the bomb hasn't called it just yet. Yeah, so we typically swing between El Nino and La Nina every sort of two to seven years. El Nino typically means hotter, drier years here in Australia, and that increases our risk of bushfires and drought. 
El Nino is a natural phenomenon, and it means that the heat that's been stored in the ocean is brought into the atmosphere, and that affects our weather. But Dr. Reed says because of climate change, there's more heat in the system. A lot of the heat from global warming, 90% of it actually gets absorbed by the oceans. So all this heat that's been building up over time as we've been emitting more and more greenhouse gases and warming the planet has been stored in the ocean and now it's rising up to the surface and we're really feeling the brunt of this. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. Joe Lauder with that update. So what do all these temperature records mean for us, especially in summer? I want to get into this a bit more now with someone who knows. Greg Mullins is the former Commissioner of Fire and Rescue New South Wales. He's now with the Climate Council and he's with us now. G'day, Greg. Thanks for coming on, Hack. No worries. How bad could things be in Australia this summer when it comes to fires, do you think? Well, look, the prospect of having an El Nino is not good. So all firefighters will be bracing themselves and thinking, oh, no, uh, we had drought, we had fires, then we had floods. Now it looks like we're going back into fires. And <clears throat> the triple La Nina you just spoke about in that package um, is very rare. There's only been three events before this in the 1950s, 70s and 90s. And after each one, we swing back to bushfires immediately. So 1957, 77, 0102, particularly the east coast of Australia, uh, we went straight back to major bushfires with property damage. Right. And now, I, I mean, you've fought fires for many years. You were in the fire service. You led it as well. Is that what you remember after a big flooding year, there was a really big bushfire year? Oh, yes. Yeah. Look, um, there, La Nina, El Nino have been around for probably longer than humans. So they're, they're sort of, you'd call them natural events, but the literature's and the research is now saying, no, it's being influenced by climate change so that we'd call it a tiny little uptick in temperature in Australia, nearly 1.5 degrees on average, hotter than it was in 1910, worldwide about 1.2. That's huge. That's day and night, 365 days of the year on average. So the extremes are more extreme. And we just um, see these wild swings and Black Summer, the worst fires we've ever had. Every state and territory was burning at the same time. We couldn't share firefighters and aircraft because every state and territory were in a fight for survival. Um, We're seeing that across the globe in Canada at the moment. We've seen it in the US, particularly in California, where I've worked on fires. Um, I'm, I'm a firefighter now. When I retired, I went back to being a volunteer where I started 52 years ago, and I was fighting fires last weekend. It's July. We shouldn't be fighting fires in New South Wales until October, but this is climate change in action, lengthening the fire seasons, making them more severe, and an El Nino can put that on steroids. Greg, how prepared are we for another big bushfire season? Like when it comes to authorities and and what they should be doing at this point, where are we up to? Well, look, a huge effort has been put in by state and territory governments and now the federal government. Um, Previously, they were missing in action, but now we've had a change at the federal level. They actually get it and they're backing up the states and territories and local governments. But what we need to realise is that we'll reach this century if things keep warming the way they are and we just keep burning coal, oil and gas. 
and putting CO2 and nitrous oxide and other methane and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, we'll reach our limit of adapt adaptation. And what that means is we'll just get more and more black summers, we'll get more and more um, triple La Ninas or, or the, the massive flooding that we had during the triple La Nina. Um, and the emergency services on the worst days will not be able to cope. Now, that happened in the past. It was once in a blue moon, but we had a whole summer of that. We had months of that where we just couldn't cope with the size of the fires, the number of fires and the intensity of the fires. They were burning overnight like they used to during the day. Um, so people need to realise the human race has a bit of a superiority complex and we, we think we can handle anything with technology or we can't. When Mother Nature gets really, really angry at us for messing with the planet, um, it, it just gets to a stage where we can't protect everybody. So we need to make sure we don't get there and really work on emissions reduction and stabilise the temperature of this planet. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with former Commissioner of Fire and Rescue New South Wales, Greg Mullins. He's now with the Climate Council. Greg, does it worry you that a fear of a big emergency season may not be hitting with Australians the same way that it used to? Just because we've seen so much in the news, there's been so much coverage and so much disaster across the country over the past few years that people aren't as frightened maybe as they used to be. Look, I'm not sure because what played out during the federal election um, and, and one survey said that 82% of Australians now realise that climate change is happening, that it's dangerous and it's driving natural disasters. So I think there's an understanding there. Uh, the Teal independents were elected on a platform of action on climate, integrity and in government, um, two things that were missing for 10 years in Canberra. Um, so I think people are realising but complacency is a terrible thing and when I was Commissioner of Fire and Rescue and Head of the Peak Council for Fire and Emergency Services in Australia and New Zealand, <clears throat> getting the public to listen to those vital safety messages was always really difficult because of that attitude of it won't happen to me, <clears throat> pardon me. But Black Summer, the Triple La Nina floods, um, I think it showed people everywhere across Australia that they can be affected by smoke that killed hundreds of people and hospitalised thousands more, people travelling in bushland areas, people holidaying in flood areas. Um, it affects us all. It affects our farmers hugely and they produce our food. So, um, look, the other thing the wet weather has done for the last three years is we've done virtually no hazard reduction burning because it was too wet and it's promoted prolific growth. So we're going to see major grass fires and then probably major bushfires in many of the states. Well, look, we'll definitely be keeping across the updates, the projections, because, you know, uh, people are really concerned by what could be ahead in the months ahead in Australia. Greg Mullins from the Climate Council, very much appreciate you coming on Hack and breaking that down. Thanks, Dave. And look, everybody should stay tuned to the warnings and listen to their fire services and ask for advice from the fire services if, if they're not sure how to prepare for this summer. Very good advice there. Thanks, Greg. 
hack. There are lots of gay people of faith. They go to schools, they teach at schools, and they are part of every community. On Triple J. A couple of years ago, a teacher made headlines around the country after revealing that she'd been sacked by a Sydney Christian school after she came out as gay. And what horrified a lot of people was that it was legal. It was a heavy time in Australia. There was a lot of debate, you might remember, about the Morrison government's proposed religious discrimination laws. They were later abandoned. Steph Lentz was everywhere speaking about her experiences on TV, even here on Hack. Steph's journey is complicated. She hid her sexuality for most of her adult life, married a man, practised and promoted the same Christian ideas that she's now asking the church and those dedicated to it to re-examine. Steph's had a lot of time to gather her thoughts over the past year or so. A lot has happened. She's written a book about her experience. It's called In Out, A Story of Falling in Love and Out of the Church. And she's with us now to talk about it. Steph Lentz, welcome back to Hack. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. How much has your life changed over the past couple of years? I'd say it's pretty unrecognisable, actually. Um, I was a married Christian teaching in a Christian school, leading Bible studies and playing in church bands. Pretty much my social calendar revolved around the church and my Christian communities. And these days, uh, I look, my life does look very different. So I'm no longer part of the church. I have a very different kind of faith. I'm teaching in a very different kind of school. My relationships and my communities have had like a complete overhaul. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a 180, that's for sure. Yeah, in a short amount of time as well, right? Like yeah. just in a few years. I want to take people on a bit of this journey of mm. your life to this point. In your book, it's clear that you always knew that you did have this special connection or love of women. Like there's this diary entry from when you're younger and you write, I'm an addict for the drugs my body produces in response to the women who fascinate me. Mm. What were you telling yourself about those feelings? Because when you read it now, obviously you think, oh, she knew she was gay. Yeah. (laughs) So that, that diary entry... I actually remember where I was when I wrote that. Um, that was while I was married, but it was it was really a latent uh, attraction and awareness of, of my attraction to women that started as young as nine years old for me. I think that's when I first clocked that. Oh, this is this is something that I probably shouldn't say out loud because there was this already this internalized homophobia and this awareness of the, the Christian church's prohibitions on anything other than straight marriage. So. Um, as a young adult, I was, um, yeah, I was into Christianity boots and all. I'd sort of adopted it for myself when I was 12 years old, when the, the gospel first made sense to me. And I said, yep, I'm going to be a Christian. And by that point, my family was, yeah, you know, culturally Christian in the way that many Aussies are, but definitely not as fundamentalist about it as I was. So in your early 20s, Mm. you go through kind of dating as a young Christian before then. And by the way, like some of that sounds really bizarre to maybe people who haven't experienced (laughs) it. Like some of the interviews you went on Mm. as like a, it was kind of like a dating interview, felt like a job interview maybe where you're scoping each other, two young Christians scoping each other out as potential potential partners. Yeah. But then you get to the point where you meet somebody and you get married. What was going through your mind when you're in your early 20s and you're getting married to Mm. a man? Yeah, yeah. The the thing about marriage within the Christian church is that it's not just 
an institution or a relationship. You know, people enter for companionship and convenience and that sort of thing. It actually has this really cosmic theological meaning. So when I was dating my ex-husband and when we were thinking about getting married, in my mind, I was sort of trying to correct the Hollywood stereotype that it was supposed to be this rapturous relationship of delight and attraction and fun and going, well, no, if marriage is, as I understand it as a Christian, primarily about showing God's love to the world, well, then it's about forbearance and forgiveness. It's about staying in this even when it's hard and choosing to love rather than letting love kind of just be a feeling that, you know, you run away with. How long did you stay married for? Uh, Officially, I was married for six years. We separated after five years and then divorce came through six years later. And during that time when you were married, were you exploring your sexuality then? Yeah, so that's when everything started falling apart. I naively thought, perhaps hoped that getting married would fix me, that um, perhaps my uh, my commitment to being a faithful wife, a good wife, a Christian wife would distract me enough or would give me some sort of focus that would make these same-sex attractions that had been part of my inner life since I was nine go away or at least dull them. But that didn't happen. I continued to have crushes even while I was married. While I was married, I had an affair with a woman with whom I fell madly in love. And the connection and the natural, very compelling um, attraction that occurred there made me go, okay, this is what this is. When When I sort of gave myself over to it for the first time, I went, oh, this is what these crushes, these intense friendships have been about. What did it feel like? It was both unbelievably good and unbelievably scary because I wasn't forcing myself to feel or do anything. I wasn't theologizing or rationalizing the way I felt about this woman. I was just being led by the identity that I have and what that means for my attractions to other people. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Steph Lentz, the teacher who lost her job at a Christian school a couple of years ago after coming out as gay. We're hearing from people on the text line who've had, you know, very intense experiences themselves. Someone says, this is hitting home. I was pressured to resign from my position as a young school chaplain in a Christian school when my wife left me. Apparently, you can't get divorced as a Christian school employee. Steph, you realise you're gay, you fall for a woman, you tell your husband your marriage breaks up, a lot has happened. Now you've got to tell this Christian school that you work for. What happens then? I mean, Dave, I had a choice because I could have stayed in the closet to the school and kept my job there, but that would have lacked integrity. Do a lot of teachers do that? From from what I've heard from people who've come out of the woodwork since my media appearances in 2021, there are a lot of teachers who perceive this conflict between their sexuality and their faith and therefore they stay quiet because they feel that their employment is under threat. So it's it's definitely more widespread than than we would think because maybe until recently these things aren't being talked about as frankly as you and I are discussing it now. Steph, the school claims they didn't sack you for being gay. They said you were terminated because you believed that Christians should be able to enter same-sex relationships and that wasn't in line with their ethos. If you had been heterosexual, it would have been the same outcome. Mm. How do you respond to that? I guess the wording of the dismissal letter that I received does make it clear that their issue was that I could no longer sign up to their statement of beliefs, which includes the idea that marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman. So that is correct. But I think there is a huge missing piece there that the school doesn't acknowledge that in asking people to believe something that is fundamentally 
against their self-interest, against their self-actualization, against their healthy expression of who they are and against them finding um, companionship and love and intimacy in a relationship that aligns with their sec- sexual orientation, that is a profoundly unhealthy and even inhumane thing to ask someone to do. And so even though, yes, the issue is that I couldn't sign the statement of beliefs, the flow-on effect of that is that I couldn't sign the statement of beliefs because I don't think it's fair or good or right or even godly to ask people to sign up to beliefs that are essentially self-hating. What happened after that? Because you've come out told your school you've been sacked, your marriage Mm. has broken down. Mm. You're also kind of this poster girl for equality because (laughs) you're making all these appearances. Like I said, you were on hack as well. Mm. How was your life in that period? Was it really good? Was it really overwhelming? I think it would be pretty easy to spiral as well. Oh, absolutely. I felt like, oh, I felt like my roots had just been yanked out of the ground. All of the things that had kept me stable until that point in my life were now gone. So my church community, my marriage, my friendships, my job, everything gone. And at the same time, it was a time of great elation and great um, relief because I was finally being honest with myself and others about who I was. There was no hiding. And there was an overwhelming amount of support from people who I'd never met before, people I'd taught, people who'd previously been to the school where I used to teach before I was a teacher there. Also, I should mention the adriftness was compounded by the fact that losing your faith is a really, really intense deal. Like existentially, it just cut me off from everything that I'd known, everything that I'd relied on. I still do feel quite existentially adrift, really trying to rebuild a way of understanding myself, the world, my place in it, my purpose in this life. Steph, in your book, you write, for years I was complicit in the harm I did to impressionable youth and the LGBTQIA plus community. The fact I'm now out of the church and the closet doesn't change the impact I had on people earlier in my life. What kind of impact do you think you had on people? I know that I really hurt some people when I was a youth group leader in my early 20s and when I led on Christian camps and Christian holiday programs. I still have the text of sermons that I gave where I denounced homosexuality, where I said that homosexuality is essentially a metaphor for humans Um, idolising the stuff that God has made in this world with zero regard for God. That's a teaching in the Bible that I latched onto and I preached it. I wrote songs about it. I taught it in my Bible study groups. I've had people come up to me since coming out and saying, hey, I was in the the youth group where you taught that and it's brought me to tears. And I've, I've, yeah, I've had some tearful conversations in um, where I've just said, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for the impact that I had on you. And I, I wish I could take that back. So there's a lot of guilt there. Oh, yeah, there is. And I've really had to work hard to forgive myself for that. Um, I take responsibility for my part in it. But as I go into in the book as well, I'm calling to account the institutions and the ideas, the ideologies that are behind that as well, because I didn't choose to believe those things independently. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with teacher Steph Lance about life after coming out. She lost her job at a Christian school. She had to restart, find new friends, support networks. Someone on the text line, I really identify with this so much. When I left my religion in my 20s, I had few good close friendships outside to rely on. I had to overhaul my life, my friends, my values, my identity, my future 
everything, finding new routes has been really difficult. Steph, people are resonating with your story. We're hearing from them loud and clear. What do you say to those people who say religious groups, churches need to protect their right to choose not to employ people, associate with people who don't align with their values? Yeah, for me, Dave, it goes actually right back to the reasons why they think these things. If you want to arbitrarily say that homosexuality is wrong and that's your value as a, as a member of this religion, well, I think that's both irrational and harmful, but I guess if the law protects you in doing so, well, then that's your right. However, the thing with Christianity, as far as I understand the version of Christianity I experienced for almost two decades, is that they don't just say, hey, this is just wrong. They go, these are the reasons. Let us give you a rational, historical Uh, psychological, biblical rationale for why we maintain that homosexuality is wrong. And so for me, I went, well, if that's the case, if these are the reasons you're giving for that, I'm going to investigate those. And I did. And I found that there are other ways of viewing it that stand up under academic scrutiny. The reasons that the church is giving for having this belief, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up under scrutiny, which is why I allege in the book that it's about the people at the top maintaining power and fearing change. That's, I think, why these beliefs are allowed to be so cut and dried and why they're allowed to be wielded to keep some people in and some people out. Do you think much has changed in Australia over the past few years? Like, obviously, there was the same-sex marriage debate, the plebiscite, and then we had the whole discussion around the religious discrimination bill. Mm. Where do you think we sit now? I think stories beget stories. And so what's happening now, as far as I can see, is that more people are calling out discrimination of the kind that I experienced where they see it because they've seen that this happens to people, it ruins lives, And maybe as a country, we don't think that that should be able to happen anymore. So you see stories like the City Point College in Brisbane being held to account for asking its parents and its community to sign on to beliefs that don't pass the pub test in Australia. You see articles like the school captain of Melbourne Grammar, I think it was, sharing his story about being gay in a church school. And these stories are getting more airtime. They're coming to the fore in a way that means we're going to have to wrestle with this. We're going to have to decide Do we want to continue to privilege certain powerful institutions or are we going to actually change and is there going to be a greater opportunity for people of intersecting identities to be treated with equality and fairness and and justice and dignity? Do you have any advice for other young people who might be heavily involved in religion or any kind of circumstance that doesn't allow them to be themselves? Do Mm. you have any advice for those young people listening because they are listening? Yeah, I think my main piece of advice would be get the information about yourself, ask the questions. If you don't feel like your church, your youth group, your school is a safe place to ask questions like, how might I know if I'm gay? Find a place where you can. Call a service like QLife so that you can actually ask those questions before you make life-altering decisions like, for example, getting married or, heaven forbid, self-harming. I think my main piece of advice is just please don't be quiet about it. Please know that through stories like mine and stories like the others that we've mentioned today, there are people out there who will understand your experience and who want to be there for you and who want to show you that it's possible to live a really, really great life just as you are. Steph, how is life at the moment? How are you doing? 
Look, I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm certainly not where I want to be, but I'm much better than I was. I continue to struggle with, with losing relationships. I continue to struggle with the grief of losing my faith. My mental health is an ongoing management exercise for me, but I, I'm good. I've got some really great people in my world. I'm finding ways of enjoying my life and of making meaningful contributions to the lives of others. I just, I find so much joy and pleasure and delight in the beauty that's all around me in people and in nature. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the mend. <laughs> you know what? No one can deny your honesty, Steph. And it's really refreshing because people do always want there to be a perfect, happy ending where everything mm. is resolved. Mm. But in reality, that doesn't always happen. Steph, it's not easy to open up like you have in this book, especially after everything you've come to terms with in just a few short years. Your book, In Out, is available now. It's a brilliant read. Steph Lentz, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you so much for the chance to be here. And a lot of messages coming through for you on the text line, Steph. From another uh, Steph, someone says, go to Parliament. I hope you go there at some point. Uh, you know, you're able to speak your truth so clearly. Your passion is amazing. Another person says, I graduated from the school Steph taught in uh, taught at in 2017. All of my friends from school are gay and we felt so marginalised. Another person grew up as a pastor's kid. I left my church for being gay years ago. My family is still awkward with me. I didn't lose my faith and lucky to have a partner who went through the same thing. It's been a hard journey. Religion has a lot to answer for, but God loves me for being me. And somebody else says, I'm a man and currently in a straight marriage and secretly bisexual. It's really difficult. Can you eat you alive? So look, so many people have resonated with Steph's story. Her book is out there now. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. Thank you so much for all of the lovely messages and to the guests for some amazing chats on the podcast today. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.